Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Mad Max Minute, where we put bolt cutters to good use in Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 24, which begins with the gyro captain looking through his spyglass at the aftermath of the raider attack, and it ends with Max removing the ropes from Nathan's legs. I liked your intro line today. (laughs) It might be one of my favorites so far. (laughs) Putting bolt cutters to good use. I try. I try. I hope that the whole idea of me changing it up every day based on what we see in the minute and sometimes based on who our guests are, I hope that's being appreciated. Oh my gosh, I appreciate it. Like, I love them. They amuse me to no end. (laughs) And you do a really good job coming up with good stuff. It's a little tricky sometimes, but I did go to school to be a bit of a writer per se. I have a journalism degree. A lot of good it did me. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's doing you good now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, granted, it's not doing me as much good as if I got bit by a radioactive spider and then I took pictures of myself doing whatever a spider can, but that's a whole other thing Mm. for a whole other someone else. Yeah, I'm grateful that you didn't. I don't like Spider-Man. You don't want me running around the city covering it with my sticky white goo? Ew. (laughs) Exactly. That's what Spider-Man does. Ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Ew. Spider-Man minute. <laughs> the reason that I don't like Spider-Man is because he's a sarcastic little twerp. And I'll bet that's what you were like as a teenager. I'll bet you were a sarcastic little twerp. Next time we're hanging out with my friends, you'll have to ask them about that. Yeah, we'll I bet they Kyle will agree. Makes me kind of grateful I didn't meet you until you were 21, I think, <laughs> when we met. Until I was more of an adult. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also appreciate the fact that we met when I was an adult. It would have been weird if we had met when you were a child, because I'm six years older than you. Yeah. Anything younger than 21 (laughs) would have been weird. (laughs) We pick up this minute with the gyro captain, who, having been left behind on top of the hill, has returned to the use of his spyglass. It makes me wonder, did Max get his binoculars back? It does not appear that he did. I was wondering the same thing, and I don't think he did. He also didn't clean up his little camp that he had set up. Yeah. I know that they don't show it, but he must have gone back to that pinnacle at some point. I don't think he ever does. Then he left behind a lot of good stuff, like all the camo stuff that he had Yeah, all of his camo netting. His binoculars. Yep. Whatever Uh, else he pulled out, I think his poncho... Yeah, the blanket poncho. Any pillow that he might have used the night before, if he had something like that. Yeah, his makeshift tripod. Yeah, whatever he pulled out of his car to make camp with. I'm hoping that when he had dinner the other night, the night before technically, that he only pulled one can out of the car and he left the rest of his food in the car for safekeeping. But if he pulled out that entire case just for ease of access to the cans inside, yeah, he just left all of those cans up on top of that hill. And I don't know, maybe in his thinking he thought, okay, I will go down there, see if I can bring someone back to the compound, trade them for fuel, and then come back to the top of the hill and get my stuff again. But that's 
not very likely. Putting myself in Max's position, in his mindset of this transient lifestyle that he has, I would like to think that he keeps the bare minimum of things outside his car at any given time. Mm -hmm. Because at any time, he might need to jump in his car and get away, which is exactly what happened. And we don't know what he left behind. So I'd like to think that he keeps as much in his car as physically possible. You would certainly hope. I mean, we've seen Max in the past when he was just a guy working a job with a family. He would take his time. Yes. The entire opening chase of Mad Max 1979, he spends most of it cleaning up from working on his car. When the call comes in, he's uniform, half off, hood up, working on the car, and he spends all this time listening to the radio, the chatter going back and forth, you know, putting his uniform back on, cleaning his hands, putting his tools away. He doesn't have that luxury anymore. No. I certainly hope that he's dealing in the strategy that you that you mentioned of keeping as much in the car as possible. Yes. Because that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yes. And even if he did employ that strategy, there are things we know for a fact are not in the car. His binoculars, the camouflage netting, and his poncho blanket. Yeah. At the very least, he left those things behind. Which is a shame. Those are and very useful things. I guess you could argue, well, you know, Max's loss is the gyro captain's gain, but we don't see the gyro captain with any of that stuff later on. No. He gives the the spyglass back to the gyro captain. He should have taken it. <laughs> like, it was <laughs> already in his own hand. Like, he, all he had to do was not give it back to the gyro captain. Okay, so he should have taken it. It was better than the binoculars. He exchanged, in that instance, the binoculars for the spyglass. That seems like an even wasteland trade. If anything, the binoculars are more valuable because they have twice as many lenses in them. But the spyglass is way more powerful. Yeah, but it only has half as many lenses. Okay, if... I'm not talking about quality. I'm talking like sheer, bare bones quantity. Okay, okay. (laughs) That's only an advantage if you're going to tear them apart and sell off the pieces its value is more than the sum of its parts it is more valuable as a pair of binoculars or as a spyglass than if you rip it apart and sell off the glass and sell off the metals (laughs) he should have kept the spyglass that's that's my that's what i'm saying i do like the fact that he gave it back to the gyro captain because it is technically the gyro captain's spyglass and i think max just wasn't thinking here take your spyglass back give me my binoculars i'm out of here right thing and in max's defense i guess we don't see what happens to the binoculars the last time we saw them the gyro captain was using them had them up on his face but we don't see what happens to them after yeah when max gives the telescope back to the gyro captain we don't see the binoculars anywhere Mm -hmm. in anybody's hands so i have no idea what happened to them maybe they miraculously ended up back in max's other hand and he did take them with him maybe dog grabbed them maybe when dog is best dog when the gyro captain put them down dog might have grabbed them in his mouth and brought them back to the car maybe he grabbed the poncho blanket too maybe Maybe he collected everything up, dragged it into the car while Max was pulling the netting off, getting in the driver's seat, getting things going. Yeah. That 
would be like the ultimate companionship. Yeah, I think that would be pretty on that, point for yeah. how their relationship is. Meanwhile, down below... Yeah, we're not done with down below yet. As we see through the spyglass, the marauder is pretty much done with Kathleen McKay. And so we see her just kind of lying there still alive yeah she's moving but she seems groggy and slow she's barely conscious yeah, i think it's, it's one of those things where i'm pretty sure he smacked her around as well as raping her mm-hmm. we go from looking at her and then the shot kind of drifts up and we see that this marauder he's got his crossbow and he's just taking his time yeah putting on a show pointing it down at her and then he lets fly the bolt and very shortly after the arrow leaves the crossbow we cut back to the gyro captain his eyes go wide and he kind of lets the spyglass fall away and then he just kind of turns to the side and the music's very dramatic and we get a fade to black and this is the last we will see of the gyro captain until minute 44 pretty much a month from now is when we catch up with him again. The whole crossbow thing and his action over his head and like bringing it down very purposefully. It's so bizarre. It's like ritualistic to me. I think he's showing off because he wants to feel powerful. It's a very showy way of doing it. It's a lot of posturing. Yes. It's a lot of showmanship. And I think he's doing it to make himself feel better. Yes. I, I did get the sense that this was another, I'm doing air quotes here, climax for him. Yeah. That this was another moment of pleasure for him. That he is enjoying this moment of murdering her just as much as he enjoyed the moment of raping her. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. Yeah. At first in my notes, I'm going to jump around just a little tiny bit. At first in my notes, I wrote that I figured the crossbow shot was probably an instant death shot. But then as Max walks down through that scene, he walks right past her and we get a pretty good look at her. The arrow is in her hip about where her appendix is. Yeah. That is not an instant death. That is a long, slow, painful death from internal bleeding or infection. Even so, she doesn't seem conscious. No. The way she looks in this shot, she looks dead already. She does look dead, but that shot would not kill her. So I feel like she was mostly dead from the beating and the rape and the shock of that. And then the, the additional shock of being shot in the appendix with an arrow probably would have just shut her down. And then, yeah, there's probably internal bleeding that's going to be the actual cause of death. But yeah, I I think she's pretty much... For right now, she's done for. at this point. There's no way to revive her. In this society where, in this lack of society, there's no way to save her. They don't have those kind of medical facilities. To save her from this, she would need surgery, emergency surgery. And that just doesn't exist anymore. No, it doesn't. (laughs) So she is dead, but it's not going to be quick and it's not going to be pleasant. And I feel like he did that on purpose. He could have shot her anywhere. He was so purposeful about it Mm -hmm. that he purposely shot her in the gut appendix area when he could have shot her in the heart. He could have shot her in the head. Can you really shoot somebody with a crossbow in the head? Like, oh, yeah. Can you get through the skull? Oh, yeah. Okay. He could have killed her instantly and he chose not to exerting his power over her one more time yeah so are we ready to leave the ridge behind and and move down mm-hmm. to the scene of the crash so from the black screen we fade in on kathleen mckay's lifeless body still stripped of clothing and we see max walk past her and he's not just 
walking past, he's also carrying a tool, a pair of bolt cutters. He's approaching the raider who's got his back turned to Max. Because Max's outfit is nice and loud with the squeaking leg brace and the leather, the raider turns around and we get to see his face. And this character is named Grinning Mohawker, because in this scene, he is grinning, Mm -hmm. and he's a Mohawker. He is played by Tony Deary. His top four on IMDb includes Road Warrior. It also includes the pirate movie from 1982, where he played a pirate. It also includes Last Chance from 1986, where he played Thug Number 2. And last, but certainly not least, on his IMDb top four is The Marsupials, colon, The Howling 3 from 1987, where he played a character named Max. The Howling 3 is a movie that we mentioned way back in season one when we were talking about Max Fairchild. Yes. Who was Benno in the first movie. He's going to come back in a later scene of this movie. He's the only other actor besides Mel Gibson to cross over from the first Mad Max movie to the second one. But Max Fairchild was in The Howling 3 as well. Of course, the pirate movie from 1982 was another one that we saw a lot of crossover with between the first movie and this other production. (laughs) Yeah, I remember it came up three or four times, maybe. Yeah, and we kept asking the question, are we going to watch the pirate movie? And Mm -hmm. I I have no interest in watching the pirate movie. No? None at all. Okay. It just doesn't look good to me. Who knows? Well, I mean, we've watched movies that don't look good. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll get to that point where for one of our hiatus materials, we're watching the pirate movie. I can't say for sure. But yeah, as far as watching it on my own, just for... (laughs) It's a musical. Oh, of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? Oh, that is just the best. The only pirate movie musical that I'm interested in is Muppet Treasure Island. I will watch the heck out of Muppet Treasure Island. That's a good movie. I told you that I actually wore out a VHS tape of Muppet Treasure Island as a child. I watched it over and over and over again. I could quote it. I was able to quote that movie beginning to about the time when Kermit and Miss Piggy are hanging off the cliff, including the songs. I have no doubt. Ah, That'd be a fun movie to review. The Road Warrior was actually Deary's first role as an actor. His career spanned a little over a decade from the early 1980s to the early 1990s. Of his 11 credits, three were feature-length films mentioned above, with the other eight being roles on television, as in like television shows and made-for-TV movies. And that includes an appearance on the Facts of Life Down Under TV movie in 1987. And I had to check on this i wasn't sure if it was like the facts of life set down under or if it was like the facts of life down under no it's the tv show facts of life and it was their made for tv movie of them going to australia oh like the you take the good you take the bad you get the that both, cast and then you get the like facts the american cast take a trip to australia right oh okay it's not like the british version of the office versus the american version it's yes the american cast go on vacation okay (laughs) and that was my original thought too oh they made an australian version of the facts of life no they didn't okay they just sent the cast to australia for a tv movie okay the grinning mohawker ladies and gentlemen so he turns around and he's looking up at Max, and Max steps into frame, and he's surrounded by clouds behind yes. him. It's a very overcast, but it's overcast in such a way that the clouds are really thin, so you get a little bit of blue peeking through, and it's very bright behind him. It's, it's a good angle for Max, because he's 
looking down at this guy. Yeah, the cinematographer has redeemed himself from the scanning yeah. through the through the spyglass. <laughs> Max is looking down at the the Mohawker. The Mohawker is looking up at Max. He grins, earning his moniker, and then moves suddenly to grab the crossbow sitting on the ground next to him. But this guy doesn't know how fast Max is, and before he can even pick up that crossbow, Max's foot is on this guy's wrist, pinning it down. Yeah, did you find it weird, the timing on the Mohawker? Like, he turns, looks up at Max, grins, and then reaches for his crossbow. I felt like they spent a long time just looking at each other. Yeah, I agree. The look does seem to last a bit longer than you would expect it to, because you would imagine this guy would go straight for the crossbow, right. turns he... around, see that there's someone there, instantly grab it. No, he just kind of, he like takes a beat to look at Max. It's very is he, bizarre. Is he taking a beat to decide whether Max is part of the horde or is... I think that might be it. ...an external person? Because Max is still kind of dressed like a cop, and so the Mohawker could be wondering, is this one of the guys in the bad cop faction? Right. So the Mohawker knows that he's the only person on the scene anymore. Everybody else is gone, right? That's what I, like, assumed. Yeah. So I have no doubt that he heard Max's car come down off the that peak. Yeah, it's not a quiet car. He had to know that Max was, like, around somewhere. He seemed very unconcerned about that fact. Perhaps he thought it was just a person from the Horde. Yeah, but obviously it's Max and not him. And so he, like I said, gets his arm pinned down by Max's foot. And then the raider looks up. Max winds back with the bolt cutters. The raider kind of flinches a bit. And then Max swings and just catches him right on like the, the back of the head. He just smacks him full force baseball swing with these bolt cutters and the raider's head just kind of flops around and then he falls back oh it's, it's so satisfying it's wonderful so <laughs> we we are okay with so much in this movie after seeing and then there's this like guy, the one thing we're very not okay with but we are okay with an awful lot having seen this guy for the last two days and having to talk about him and what he's doing so much just watching this guy get the snot beat out of him, even yeah. if it's just one swing. Oh, it feels so good. It kind of reminds me of Mad Max 79, like I mentioned earlier in this week. That same scene where Goose and Max find the wrecked Chevy, and they've already passed by Lair, but they find Lair's girlfriend tied up in the wreckage of the Chevy. And she's not alone, because she's tied up, and the person holding the other end of that rope is Johnny the Boy. And because Max is a cop in that movie, he has to arrest and bring Johnny the Boy back to police headquarters. He has to go to trial. He has to have due process. That's not the case here. No. Max does not have to abide by any rule books anymore. This is wasteland justice. He sat on that hill and watched what this guy did. And so he comes down. He's got these bolt cutters. And I know you could look at it one way that he's not so much dispensing wasteland justice as much as like eliminating someone that will give him trouble. But at the same time, I think it's both. Yeah. I think he had to kill him because as part of his plan, he needed all the bad guys to be gone. This guy was still around. So he had to go. I think he 
did it with the bolt cutters and he enjoyed it because he was a rapist. Max still has a bit of that cop sentimentality in the back of his head. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit of that truth, justice in the Australian way. So I bet he found a lot of satisfaction in that. Not that it really shows on his face. No, very little shows on his face. He goes through the swing and as soon as the raider is dead, he continues along his way. He's making his way towards the wrecked buggy where Nathan sits pinned to the tire. And as he approaches this other scout, Nathan starts saying, oh, thank you, thank you. He ends up saying thank you three times, but we're going to get to that tomorrow. I feel like we saw this attack happen in real time. And when Max finally gets to Nathan, the buggy that he's pinned to looks really picked clean. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there's like a frame, an engine, and a couple of seats. And that's the only thing left on this buggy. Yeah, they're quick. The other three tires, completely gone. Any gas tanks that would have been on there, any supplies, completely gone. So the dudes in that modified F-100 makeshift tow truck thing, holy cow, they acted fast. Yeah, I would think that they have to. Part of their culture is time is not a luxury that they have. Yeah, because any time spent with like an idling engine Mm -hmm. is just wasted resources. I'm just flabbergasted with how picked clean this thing is yeah they're also very practiced they know exactly what they want what they don't want right i also noticed about this shot and i said this at the top of the minute that max is like untying nathan i think that nathan's legs aren't exactly tied up i think he's just got a length of rope tied around one pant leg and that the other leg is bleeding in such a way that max is grabbing that rope to like tie off the other leg Yeah, that was a sense that I got. It didn't seem like the rope was doing anything nefarious. It was just there. Yeah, and if Max is going to use this guy as a meal ticket, he needs to make sure that he stays alive. Yes. Absolutely. We don't actually find out if Nathan survives until sometime next week. I want to say next Wednesday? Yeah, I think so. I'm looking forward to the next few minutes. Yeah, we're going to be meeting a lot of new people yes a lot of new faces we finally get to see the inside of the compound the story is going to move along yeah not that the story has necessarily been stagnant but we've spent these first 20 some odd minutes setting up the story yes putting people in place yes and now that we're finally getting into week six we're finally getting into the main meat of the story the main obstacle that we have to get over before we can finish the movie The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 24 of The Road Warrior. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.